0: For library marketers podcast where we will engage in informal conversations with fellow library marketers industry and social media experts and other marketing professionals on the topics of marketing communications public relations outreach and more in libraries of all kinds whether you are a librarian a clerk assistant or in some other role In a team of many or just one, join us as we share tips, inspiration, industry news, success stories, lessons learned, strategies, tools to use, secrets, and more. I'm your host, Katie Rockley, fellow library marketer, librarian, and artist. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. Hello, how are you? (laughs) How are you?
1: I'm great, thank you. Nice to see your face again.
0: Yes, yes. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do an interview with me and be on my podcast. Sure, no problem. I'm going to adjust my camera here. I'm also going to go to the Library Marketing and Communications Conference for the first time ever. Yes, that's exciting. exciting. Good. congratulations to you for doing the opening training that's so awesome
1: yes i'm very excited i'm really honored to um, have been asked to do that pre-conference workshop it's actually portions of a course that i teach for learn with novelists which is my day job for the novelist company and so it's like the most important parts of um, library marketing, I feel like Mark Aaron Polger a couple weeks ago when when he was talking with you talked about all the background research that we need to do in order to really connect with our audiences, and this is kind of that thing. So I don't know when this podcast is going to be released, but you have to register for that session before October 14th. So I'm really excited and honored that I got asked to do that. And I'm, I'm doing a session um, in the main conference too, so that'll be fun. <laughs>
0: Definitely have to attend it. And for our listeners, um, I am speaking with Angela Hirsch. And would you mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. So you know my name.
1: Um, My day job, I work for Novelist, which is a company that a lot of librarians know and love because we have a database that helps libraries connect readers with the books that they want and love. We have um, products that help libraries weed and purchase books for their collection. Um, We have a great product called library aware that is all about library marketing. So it lets libraries create signs and bookmarks and send emails, all with branded templates. And it's just it's a lot of fun to work with. And then we have the Learn with Novelist platform, which is professional development courses to help libraries learn how to reach readers and promote their library. Right now, all of the marketing courses on Learn with Novelist are by yours truly and were created by me. So I I have have a special place in my heart, but my colleagues who are librarians who are really great at Reader's Advisory have put together some amazing um, courses as well. And I don't know when this podcast again is going to be released, but we have a new course coming out. the end of october and i would love to send you a code so that your listeners can look in the show notes for this podcast and can get a discount on some of the courses if that's okay with you so i'll send that Uh, to
0: you yeah i will try and get this done this weekend because i actually have a weekend free so (laughs) i will have to publish it this weekend
1: i'll send you the code right after this and um so that's like my day job and then in my Free time. So that's for. Um, I'm doing air quotes for people listening to this. Um, I have run a blog called Super Library Marketing, which I started at the very end of 2015. And it's just I post once a week on Monday mornings a long form post that's full of advice for libraries to do their promotions. And then on Wednesdays, I publish the Library Marketing Show, which is a YouTube series about five minutes for each video giving more tips for library marketing. So um, that's that's who I am.
0: <laughs> and it's fantastic. So if you've never heard of Angela Hirsch or her blog, Super Library Marketing, or her YouTube show, you definitely have to start following her because it is super helpful. And I got to meet her at the PLA conference in person this year. And um, I have to say like, you're my hero. I mean, Mark oh and Polger is too, but you're my hero. I am super. I am like super in all of you. You're awesome, and you provide such great information that's super helpful.
1: Thank you very much. It was lovely to meet you, and it's great to start getting out to conferences again and talking with people and and meeting. And I'm I cannot tell you my level of excitement right now for LMCC. Like I just cannot contain myself. <laughs>
0: I know, and it's only a few short weeks away now. I know. (laughs) I realized that this morning. I was like, oh, I need to
1: start working on the uh, pre-conference workshop.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, so I also know that you have a background in journalism, and you're an Emmy Award winning broadcast news anchor i think that's what you told me i was a producer so i was never on camera
1: which is hilarious because i always i never wanted to be on camera and then what did i do i started a youtube channel where i'm on (laughs) camera all the time but but um it's different in tv news um i think women in tv news are criticized much more than they are in the library world so i i was working behind the scenes putting together daily newscasts writing scripts working with reporters and anchors, um, helping edit video, all, all of that stuff. I worked in the investigative side for a while. And then toward the end of my TV career, I did. I took all of the um, news stories that were on TV and translated them for the website. So I was basically in charge of my station's website and social media channels, which is kind of where I started learning more about marketing, especially in the digital space. And then I decided um i didn't want to do that anymore and lucky for me a job opened up at the cincinnati and hamilton county public library i live in cincinnati uh, and i applied and i swear to goodness i thought i blew the interview i I called my husband afterwards i said i just babbled the whole time i cannot believe this because i you know working for the library is a dream job and um the guy i interviewed with called back the next day and said when can you start (laughs) So that's how I got the job at the library. Um, And I worked there for almost seven years before I went to LMCC in 2019. That was the last one we had that was in person. And I met my current boss, Kathy Lucier. And we had a lovely breakfast together. And the next morning, I'm getting ready to go down to the next day of the session. And I get a text in my hotel room that says, I have an opening. Can you apply for this job? And that's how I got my job at Novelist.
0: That's amazing, isn't it? Like you, you're on this trajectory, and things just kind of fall into place. Yeah. Yes, I'm very unfortunate to be honest with you. Um, uh, I have
1: I won't say I haven't worked hard because I certainly have, but I've been fortunate to cross paths with people who have supported me in my career, and that's kind of why one of the reasons why I started the blog. I just felt like I'd been so blessed, and I had especially at the library in Cincinnati, I had lots of resources, I had a staff, I had a budget, most libraries don't have that. And Mm -hmm. they are Mm -hmm. asking staffers to do marketing. And these are people who are doing 3000 other tasks as part of their job. So I just felt like it was um, a mission, almost to give back. And so that's why I started the blog and the show, really.
0: So I'm curious, uh, and I don't know if you've ever gone back and like looked at uh, feedback or questions that you've received through your blog or through the YouTube channel, but what are you most commonly asked or what issues do you commonly see when it comes to library marketing? Yes. Yeah,
1: so I actually collect questions from people um if i do a conference presentation and it's virtual i will try to like copy the chat before the window closes and put it in another document so i can keep track of what people were asking um once a year i just did this in september i survey the readers of super library marketing i basically just ask them like what are you what's going on what are you dealing with um The the kinds of questions I get have changed over time, obviously. But I would say still the number one thing that most libraries are struggling with is organic social media reach. Um, There are a lot of libraries that are feeling increasingly frustrated with the time it takes to create content for all of the platforms and the lack of a return on that investment of time on social media platforms and i get it because in my day job at for novelists i'm the manager of marketing for novelists so we're, we're we're having the same issues we're just trying to market to libraries and we are also struggling with organic reach everybody is um so that's one and specifically like facebook uh all of the time facebook is just causing problems for libraries. And that was one of the reasons, there's a course that I created that's on the Learn With Novels platform called Conquering Social Media. And I put it together specifically to address these questions. The main point I want libraries to take away from that is that uh, (laughs) there are things you can do to get around the algorithm. The algorithm is the machine learning AI stuff that platforms use to decide what content gets shown to people. So there are some specific things you can do and you don't have to keep up with the algorithm to make your organic social media work. But beyond that, I am actually not a fan of libraries using social media as their primary marketing channel. And I know it's free and I know we are always trying to reach people in our community who aren't using the library, but I, I don't see a lot of success. For libraries doing that so what part of that course is trying to convince libraries to start building their email lists because Mm -hmm. email you control there's no algorithm you can separate your audience by their interests and give Mm -hmm. them things that they want specifically and connect with them and i just think um it's a lot it's a much better much more effective tactic than social media um other questions that i get uh, a good th- a good trend that i'm seeing i'm seeing a lot of libraries start to ask more about measuring their marketing and how to do it specifically um, how to measure email how to measure social media how do we know that all of the in-person interactions that are happening at the desk or through chat are really leading to more engagement for our library. So that's a new question that came up multiple times in the survey this year, that I was excited to see, and I'm hoping to dig into more on the blog this year. So those are probably the top two questions, really.
0: That's interesting um, that you mentioned the measuring the marketing because uh, I went to the Orange Boy ID Exchange back in August and one of the libraries there, and I wish I could remember the name of it, they have a staff position, a, a person there who is all about data analytics. That's his job. And I've never heard of that before. And I just think that's fantastic. It's also a large library system
1: yes yeah and um cincinnati used to have one also i don't know if they still have that position um but that it is a huge job i mean it's a huge job for anybody doing any kind of marketing any company again my my company novelist we struggle with this too um because you have to stay on top of whether your promotions are doing well or not so that you can decide whether to continue to do them you don't want to be wasting your time You want to keep doing things, yeah, that are successful and not do stuff that's not working. Um, And so I'm thrilled to hear about that. I, I hope that there is a trend that is starting that more libraries will at least dedicate some portion of staff to data analysis, not just for marketing, but for all of the data that we get as a library, everything from circulation to visits to you know um where are people logging into wi-fi inside the building i mean there's all kinds of things you can learn about your community when you look at data so yeah that's a big thing
0: i'm curious um i know that you work mostly with novelists but are you familiar with library where are there any data analytics uh offered using that platform
1: yeah so um in the libraryware platform we have a report section which is a place where our library customers can go to see how many times people are um clicking on a social media post because they can post straight from libraryware to the different platforms um we have lots and lots of email or yeah we have lots of email analytics so you can see not only what the open rate and the click rate is but who opened the emails and what exactly did they click on inside the email, which is always really fascinating you can download all of those reports. Um, We have uh, also a function where you can take some of your email, your email newsletters and make a like a carousel on your, um, uh, your homepage or any page on your website of books. So we, you can look and see which of the books get clicked on. Uh, in that oh. carousel. So like stuff like that, yeah, is all available within Libraryware. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Well, on the topic of content, uh, can we talk a little bit about content creation in general? Like what, what kind of strategies would be useful for libraries? Uh, talking about collateral, what attracts or engages your audiences and what doesn't?
1: Yeah, great question
0: a couple like during the sometime during the pandemic,
1: I recorded uh, an episode of the library marketing show because I was frustrated with my own mm. former library's lack of marketing collateral in my book. So I am a big uh, print reader. I like the physical feel of a book and I tend to check a whole bunch of them at a, a time and put them on my yes. shelves back here and we don't have fines in Cincinnati so I can get you know I I have more time to read them Um, and I'll go to the drive-through because we have a drive-through at my branch and there's nothing in there's no bookmark or anything in the book and that frustrated me and I think Mm -hmm. a really easy thing that libraries can do is look at what goals do you want to accomplish in the next month or three months or six months make three bookmarks that will help you accomplish those goals, that will promote whatever it is that you are trying to do at your library. And as people are filling holds, your staff, as they're working with checkouts, you can either hand somebody a bookmark or slip it into the book or the DVD or the uh, craft bag or whatever they're picking up from the library. You can use context clues to kind of gauge whether that particular customer is going to be interested in one of the three bookmarks that you have printed and created. And I picked three randomly. But I feel like I don't we don't want to have five when it's like six, that's too many for most library staff to handle. So three gives you a little bit of a range. And you can kind of match to the customer based on the context clues of what they're checking out or what they're asking you at the checkout desk. Um, I think that's really and another thing you can do with that print catalog, or I'm sorry, with that print uh, piece is to give it to your partners. So we had a mm-hmm. thing and Cincinnati, we had a partnership with the symphony orchestra and we would um, create a book list also has DVDs and music in it. That would be matching the theme of whatever concert they were doing. So they always did theme concerts. And th- and we just printed it in on a quarter sheet flyer and they stuck it in the program of the symphony. So that's a whole new audience for our library. And they open up the program and they see, if you want to continue this experience, you can check out these things from the library. And so that's how print pieces can really be helpful. Um, and then the other thing I would actually two other things. One is to build your email list so that you can send email to the your members of your community. And my suggestion would be to create an opt-in page for your website that you you create groups you create the interest groups for the newsletters or the emails or whatever that you are going to want to send out and let people self-select they can identify what they're interested in and then you can send them the content that they have asked for and then the final content piece i think is a blog i spent five years advocating at my library to get a blog. So sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes senior staff need to be convinced that it's worth mm-hmm. the time to write blog posts, but I guarantee that it is. You can do so much with a blog. You can have guest um, You can have guest authors, you can have staff write blog posts, you can do profiles of customers, you can do, um, interesting stories about services or collection items that you want to promote for your library and then you can link that blog post in an email you can pull a quote to use on social media to drive people to read the blog you can use your blog instead of a press release when you have an announcement to make you can send a blog post to the local news stations and newspapers rather than going through the process of creating a press release you can send blog posts to legislators. I mean, there's like so much you can do. And you control the story, you are controlling the narrative on the blog. So those are that is a really valuable, I think, way to get content out about the library to your community. That's interesting.
0: Great ideas. And I'm so sorry, my camera just turned off on me. This happened in my interview with Mark too, and no problem. I had to come back on. So I'm gonna have to get a new camera. But uh thank you for all of that. I something's as simple as just creating uh three different types of bookmarks and putting them in the books as people check out or offering them at checkout or even for when people come in to pick up their holds or through a drive up window it that's so easy yeah yeah
1: that's what uh, you know I'm always trying to find honestly the easiest thing to do because I really am aware of the time constraints that most library staff have when they're trying to promote the library and do all of the other things that are necessary as part of their job yeah
0: and I I So the first library I worked at had a blog, but it didn't have a large following, and I'm not sure why that was. Uh, The blog responsibility often fell to the interns at the time. I'm not sure if they still maintain it or not, but what advice can you give for content, uh, you know, publishing content on your blog? And I mean, a lot of us think we know what our community wants to hear or know about. But but sometimes I think we miss the mark.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'm There are lots of libraries that do surveys of their community just for, usually it's once a year to just kind of ask them to predict how they have used, well, to tell them how they've used the library and predict how they'll use it in the future. And I think it would be Who's libraries to start adding just a couple of marketing questions in there. So if you had a blog, you could ask, you know, what kinds of stories do you want to hear on the blog or read on the blog? Um, the number, my number one piece of advice for a blog is to start an editorial calendar. So pick a posting consistency that you can keep up with. Maybe that's twice a week. Maybe it's once a week, but post the same day of the week at the same time, because your audience starts to look, for those posts on that day. And I know this from personal experience from super marketing.com a couple of months ago, I went ahead and asked my audience, Hey, like, do you want me to move the day I'm, I post on or do you want me to post less? Do you want me to post more? And they were all like, absolutely post on Mondays. Don't post less. <laughs> They're like very clear that they had started to really look for those posts and really anticipate that they were coming on a certain day of the week. So pick a posting consistency that you can keep up with. Um, And the other thing I would suggest is to market your posts. So a lot of times libraries will publish something on their blog. And I think we think that people are visiting our website every day and that they're looking around on it the way that Mm -hmm. we look around on our website. They are not going to find your blog post unless you tell them specifically that it is there. So you have to promote it on social media. I would send an email to your card holders to be like, new post is up, here's a link, maybe a little teaser. You can use the same graphic that you use on your blog post in your email for that consistent look. Um, but you have to promote the post that you put on your blog. You can't just hope that somebody is going to um, show up and see it. Uh, A couple other pieces of advice, the title of your post and keywords inside your post are really important. And that is because of SEO, which stands for Search Engine Optimization. So basically, the search engines, especially Google, all of the time, you think of them like a spider. They're like crawling around the internet looking for words that give them a clue about what is on a particular website page. And once they Mm. get those clued words, they can show that content to people um, because they know they can predict what's on the page. So you want to make sure that your headline and the words inside your post have keywords that will trigger Google and will make sure the content you're writing about is going to get shown to the right people. So the easiest way I can explain this is to use my blog as an example. I will often work the words library marketing or library promotion into my blog five six seven eight times and i do that because i want google to catch that so that when somebody googles how do i promote my library my posts get shown to them so that's a Hmm. really easy way to to um explain that and you can do that with your headline your subheadline, and then within the body of your post as well
0: is there a a really efficient or good way to format your blog posts consistently? Um, I guess this goes along with like how you tell your story each time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, oh, that's a really good question. So one of my favorite techniques for blog posts, but I, it's, I was going to say I do this on almost every post and I, I do actually do this. So I try to start every post with, contextualizing whatever i am writing about in some personal fashion so for instance um th- i think it's this week i'm right re- i right re- i've got a couple of blog posts in the can that i'm re- working on at the same time so i'm trying to figure <laughs> like, like when am i publishing this thing i believe it's going to be next monday the post that i'm publishing next monday i'm starting with a story about the first time i went to a conference and what I did to plan and the post is going to be about time management and like planning and project management. Mm. Um, And so I just start with that. So you can just start with some kind of personal story that's personal to you, the author. The other thing you can do, I love writing profiles of people. So I just wrote a profile of somebody who um, works for novelist to put on the novelist blog in the next couple of weeks and i started the the post by talking about she went to ala and she sat in a certain seat next to another to a person who worked for novelist at the time and that choice of seat changed her life like that Mm. those couple of sentences is how i started so what you want to do is draw people in with some kind of personal story either about you or the subject that you're writing about because that's what's going to create an emotional connection for them and make them want to continue reading that post. Um, other formatting things that I do, I tend to make sure my paragraphs are short. So they usually have four sentences or less. A lot of white space on your blog makes it easier to read, especially if your blog post is long. It makes it feel like it's less long, believe it or not, because you're giving your reader space. To breathe and think about the things that you are saying. Um, I try to write really conversationally. So I go through and I edit my posts and I make sure I'm not saying anything flowery. I make sure my sentences are easy to read. I read my post to myself out loud several times as if I was doing it for a news show or a radio show just so I can hear what it sounds like. Um, lots of editing happening on blog posts. I probably edit my personal blog post 25 times between the time I write it and the time it gets published and on our novelist blog we have a whole process for editing blog posts so they probably get edited close to 20 times as well by a whole variety of people who add their comments and suggestions and I think that really helps to make sure that we're not saying anything incorrectly and also that Sometimes, when you're the writer, you'll say something that makes absolute sense to you. You wrote it, you absolutely understand, but somebody else, that concept or the way you wrote that sentence, they can't understand it. And having somebody else outside of your personal orbit who could edit your post for you is really helpful too. Um, so, I do that. I added a lot of lists to my posts again to break them up and give it more white space. I use sub headlines a lot to kind of, again, make sure it's easy for people. Um, to follow, so we do that on my post on my blog, and we do it on the novelist blog as well. So those are some real basic tips that I think anybody can put into practice if they start a library blog.
0: Right. I noticed that uh, oftentimes you'll use like a number in your title, so it'll be the five things libraries should do concerning this, or three things that sometimes are often overlooked, or or whatever. And I've read somewhere too, just in general marketing, having that as your title or headline for email, blogs, even so maybe social media posts makes it, a, a, I don't know, a little more invitational because p- then people are like, what are the five things? What are the three things I'm often overlooking? It's, it's almost kind of like capturing their attention and then they're curious.
1: Absolutely, there is a reason that BuzzFeed does listicles. Uh, it works. And um, I was at a conference last year, and I there was a woman there who is a behavioral scientist who said to actually use the number, not the written out like T H R E E for three, but actually use the number three in your headline, in email, in social media, because it's more enticing to people who are reading it. That's such a Tiny little simple tip, but I tell you, it works.
0: What, what that is, that's so fascinating to me. But, you know, human behavior in general is like super complex, but also fascinating. And I think that's why people enjoy true crime so much.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, her name was Nancy Harhut. And I think she has a book coming out um, either this month in October or maybe in November. And it is all about behavioral science and marketing. Um, and I think she was probably testing out some ideas in this presentation that I saw, but it was, and it was, her presentation was like the 15 things you can do to make your emails get open more frequently. (laughs) She was even using some of her techniques in the name of her presentation. So it, it works for lots of things. People love lists, so I don't think you can ever go wrong with a list.
0: So what are your thoughts on A-B testing? And for anyone who doesn't know what A-B testing is, it's uh, you send a portion of your content um, in one style or one format to half the group, and then you send the same content but change it up a little bit to the other half.
1: Yeah, I love it. I think it's really fascinating and interesting um i have i didn't have a lot of chance to do it until i came to novelist and in particular in the position i'm in now as manager uh, of engagement and marketing we get to we have um uh, somebody who can help us with email and can help us do a b testing when we want to do it and it is really super fascinating so i like to change things i like to test subject lines i love to text test call to action buttons and see if the wording or the placement of the button or sometimes even the color of the button makes a difference um, you can test things like different images within your email um, different amounts of text so you might have one test that has a lot of text in your email and maybe another email that has very few pieces of text and an image so it's much more simple and which one does your audience prefer i am a I just love experimenting. And I, um, there was an, there's another guy that I follow on LinkedIn whose last name I absolutely cannot pronounce, but he runs, um, uh, an email marketing agency and his last name has like 15 letters. His first name is John. but It is a really complex last name. Um, anyway, he said something a couple of weeks ago that I've been repeating to my staff over and over again, which is every time you send an email, it should be an experiment. You should be always experimenting. So A, B experimentation is probably the most direct way to figure out which kinds of elements within your email are things that your audience will um, respond to and to do all of that testing. Love it.
0: Awesome. And I'm wondering like, if just thinking about library marketing in general should just be an experiment every single time. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I say that quite often in some of my conference presentations. I think um, there are lots of things that you can experiment with not just with email, but you can experiment with social media. So um, one platform that's really fun to do this on is Twitter. So Twitter, there's always content happening. And the best practice right now is to post three times a day, which is a lot for libraries to do. So, yes, it is I, yeah right my advice is to um experiment and do the same post but in different ways and at different times of the day and different days of the week so if anyone follows my twitter account my personal twitter account this is how i promote my blog and the library marketing show i usually create two tweets with different media one usually has an image and one usually has a gift or something else and then i post them on some they might have different emojis in them and i'll post them um, on different days of the week and different times of the day over and over again for a couple of months after i release a post or an episode of the library marketing show and so in that way i get to learn what time of day are most of my twitter followers interacting with my tweets and with my blog Um, what do they prefer a still image or do they want me to post with a GIF? Um, do they like emojis or do they not like emojis? Like there's all this fun stuff that I can figure out. You can also experiment on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is another great place. Get lots of really cool analytics on LinkedIn. So you can experiment on, uh, again, adding emojis, um, really, really short amount of text or a long amount of text. What kind of images you use or rich media videos gifts those kinds of things um and then youtube has so much um really interesting analytics there's a chrome extension so if your library has a youtube channel i would recommend that you download you buddy which is a chrome extension that opens up a whole bunch of other stuff you can do with YouTube, you can actually see the analytics in some sense of other channels on YouTube. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I show this in one of my um, Learn With Novelist classes, I actually pull up um, TubeBuddy and I show them. So this is how I learned how to tag my library marketing episodes appropriately. I looked at other channels and other videos that were sort of similar and then sometimes not similar just to see what tags they put on their videos and then I, I copy them or at least i copy the formatting or the philosophy behind those tags so um i used to watch i watch a lot of k-pop videos because my daughter really got me into k-pop i was a really big fan of, of the try guys they had their social media um Folks do a really good job of tagging their youtube videos and that's really honestly from watching their videos and looking at their tags using tubebuddy and it just comes up automatically you don't have to do anything once you've downloaded that chrome extension but i would just look and see i could see what tags they used how many they used there's another um, metric called the seo score which basically tells you how well this channel is in tagging itself and where it's showing up in the algorithm. So it's a score from zero to 100. And their videos were always at like 95 or 100. So I wanted to do whatever it was that they were doing with my um, video. So I'm always trying to like get my SEO score up there <laughs> with tags, um, adding cards, adding you know different types of end screens that you can experiment with on YouTube. I mean, honestly, the possibilities are endless. There's probably too much that we could experiment with for the bandwidth that most library staff have and the time they have to devote to promotions. But knowing that those possibilities are out there and knowing that you can always improve, I think is just really the thing that makes marketing and promotion an incredibly fun job.
0: Um well, thank you for that Angela. I had no idea TubeBuddy existed. So happy that <laughs> that you met with me today. That's amazing. Um yes, yeah, so I'm curious that that kind of leads me to my next question is what are your thoughts on how many platforms libraries should actually be active on or should have?
1: That is a great question and it really depends on the library and your goals or your so I would uh, and I cover this in the self paced course conquering social media, but uh, we go through like a whole process for deciding where to post. So you first look at your library's overall goals, what do you want to accomplish? And then who is the target audience that you need to reach in order to accomplish those goals. And then you look at the platforms to find out where that target audience is interacting on social media keeping in mind that there is nothing your library can do to drive a certain audience to a certain platform those people are already going to be there and or the platforms are going to decide who they're marketing and they're going to curate an audience based on their goals so for instance if you are really into reaching senior citizens for to to reach some goal that your library wants to do. We know for the most part that people who are 65 and older are not fully interacting, at least not yet on Instagram. They're not on LinkedIn. They're definitely not on Twitter. Where are they? They're on Facebook. So that means you're going to target that audience using your library's Facebook page, because that is the audience that is there and available for you to target. Um, I interviewed a library in Canada and they were really frustrated with their Instagram engagement. And so they made this decision to look at the audience that was available to them on Instagram and they realized that most of those who were interacting with their Instagram page were um, caregivers with young children. So they decided to completely focus all of their Instagram posts on early literacy the services that they offer at the library including story times books um, tips for parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and teachers that their instagram account is fully focused on early literacy and their engagement rate went up because they catered their content to that target audience but they're also in doing that reaching a library goal which is to get the people who are in that age group engaged and coming to story times and coming to the library to help you know to check out books for their kids so it's kind of really depends on what your library's goals are and the available audience on the platform and i'll end this by saying it is absolutely okay to post on only one channel if that is a all you can do consistently and with your amount of staff time and resources and b if that's where your main audience for whatever goals are trying to reach if that's where they are interacting it is okay to do just one platform
0: that's good to hear because i think a lot of us are uh maybe we make the assumption that we have to be on all of the platforms
1: yeah 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 i don't think you do at all nope (laughs) um yeah and i think and i think when libraries try to do that, when they try to be on all of the platforms, and they're kind of stretching themselves, thin, they're not creating the kind of content that is really engaging for those audiences and engagement rates go down. And then they feel like failure. And it's just kind of this like loop of self destruction. So I would say pick up one or two platforms, get really good at them, get your engagement rates up, be really focused about the kind of content you post on those platforms. And remember, you're always going to be at the mercy of the platforms and the algorithms. So part of your social media strategy should always be to take those people from the platforms and get them to sign up for your email newsletters.
0: Uh, That reminds me, I I wanted to ask you this question earlier. Um, I know you mentioned something about having an opt-in page, but what are your thoughts about having an opt-out policy instead? Um, I think both can work in conjunction.
1: So there are certain email messages that you are going to need to send to everyone in your community who has a library card. And I know that, uh, like there's some big events, summer reading, your summer reading emails should go to everybody. Um, your, um, one book, one community email should go to everyone. Your winter reading challenge should go to everyone announcements about branch renovations or a new service that is launching. You've got a new database, you've got uh, a new makerspace opening up in a branch. Those should go to everyone and those emails should be opt out. So it should be part of staff's job when they're signing someone up for a library card to get their email address so that you can send, those are marketing emails, so you can send those kinds of marketing emails to those communities. Um, those community members, I should say, and they should be opt out and it's okay to get the email address and it's okay if they unsubscribe, but basically they're not going to, because people love getting email from a library. They know that they are paying for that service in some form or fashion through taxes or bonds or whatever, but it feels free and it feels like your library is giving them something and they want that. So it's not spam and I am fully in favor of opt out. I do love opt in for specialized interest groups. So if you know Mm -hmm. that you are going to be creating a whole series of programs for your makerspace, and you want people to you want to send those emails to people who really want to engage with and use the makerspace. If you send those emails to everyone at the library, there's going to be a large majority of those people who are not interested in it. And that means your open rate and your click rate will be terrible. And you're going to feel like a failure. Um, And they may end up opting out of those emails because they're not interested in the makerspace. It's just not something they're interested in. That's okay. So you can work with both opt in and opt out kinds of emails, depending on what the content is that you're sending to people. I think they both have a place in library marketing. I hope
0: that made sense. It definitely did. That's Um, one of those things
1: I was talking about earlier that makes sense in my brain as I'm saying it, but I'm not sure it's coming out the way I (laughs) intended to sound. Don't worry.
0: Don't worry. You are not alone. I often have those moments.
1: I mean, my library in Cincinnati was opt-out, completely opt-out. Our unsubscribe rates were always less than 1%. But sometimes we were sending messages to people who didn't want that information. And I, they may not have unsubscribed, but I worried always that I was alienating them in some way or making them feel like I didn't understand what they wanted from the library. And we don't ever want our community members to feel that way. So that's why I think using opt in and opt out together is a really good strategy. It's complicated and it's going to take some planning and a strategy on the part of whoever is in charge of doing the emails. Um, but once you get that strategy in place, I think it works beautifully for most libraries that incorporate both kinds of email.
0: You bring up a really good point about um not wanting to make anyone feel alienated. And I'm wondering if um, it, it, it I guess it kind of is like about the perception of the library in in general, and especially for. Adults maybe who have a different cultural experience, or um, they think the library is for children and students and not for them. So how how can we communicate effectively? I realize that those are different audiences, so they might have different messages that work for them. But how how can we communicate effectively with different perceptions of the library, people who have different perceptions.
1: That is a really great question. Um, And a complicated one to answer. Uh, you, You hit on it basically in your question when you said we have different messages for different audiences. And this is the kind of background work that takes time. You have to have the ability to think through these things and be creative and to ask community members if the messages that you are creating are actually engaging to them and a lot of libraries don't take the time to do this kind of planning they just as you said earlier they just kind of assume that they know what things to say to appeal to certain audiences and so i think it's important and i'm going to speak to managers right now anybody managing someone who is working in library marketing and promotion If it is a manager's job to make sure that a staff member can be successful in their job. And one thing that people need when they're doing marketing promotion is time to research. So managers, you've got to give your staff members time, block off time in their schedule where they're going to do some deep research on the community, who is, what are the groups, what members of the groups, what's the demographics of your community. Where are they interacting with the library? Where are they interacting with other organizations? And what kind of messages resonate with that those community members? And that takes time to research. So this is really where planning and thinking strategically come into place. And the answer, the basic answer to that question, how do we message those people is going to be different for every community. I mean, think about the different ways that people talk in different parts of the country, just even mm-hmm. in conversation. So I can't give a blanket answer to that because it's going to be different for every library. But what I can say is that we need to really be letting our staff have time to do research. I think in general, not just in the library industry, but in the world, we are very like list. speaking of lists, we love lists. Checking things off the list. Do do do. It doesn't feel productive to research. But without the research, nothing we do is going to be productive.
0: I agree with that. Um, I know as you know, like a marketing department of one, it's not always in my purview to spend that time to get to familiarize myself with the demographics because I have to do all of the event flyers, I have to do the monthly calendars, then I have to make the emails. And sometimes it just feels like there's just no time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I have a staff, I had a staff in Cincinnati. I have a staff now at Novelist and I still struggle with setting aside time to do research. It's easier for me to set aside time for my direct reports to do research. So in that way I'm okay. But like doing research myself, is very difficult and I have to be incredibly disciplined about it. I actually block time off my calendar. I make it like it's a meeting. And sometimes I even shut down teams, flip my phone over. I shut my email down because I know I need to focus on the thing I'm trying to learn. And I, it takes a lot of discipline, but I really, really think that it's incredibly important. And it's the thing that's going to take the library marketing industry to the next level is if we because this is what businesses do they do deep research that's why they're so successful we have to follow sometimes we follow business models as an example so we have to set aside the time that we need to do that research so that we can engage with our community otherwise everything is a threat to us we are threatened by amazon and best buy and walmart and the local bookstores they're all our competitors and they're all doing deep research and if we don't we're missing an opportunity to really connect in an empathetic way with our community members.
0: Thank you for that. I think it's such a um, important part of library marketing, especially scheduling that time. I, I think that was such a great point is blocking off part of your schedule just to, to specifically focus on that.
1: Yeah, and don't feel like it's not busy work or not productive it absolutely is productive and one thing i would encourage libraries to do as they're doing this research is to share what they've learned with the rest of the staff so that they can understand what it is you're doing in marketing and promotions because there may be tidbits that you discover in your deep research that other departments could use in some other way to create programs or um, when they're engaging with patrons customer service oriented engagements. Like anything you learn can be shared with other departments in your library and everyone can benefit from that research.
0: Definitely. Great point. I, I just recently did that. I discovered some really amazing data from our email provider and one of them was different, um, Languages other than English that are spoken in our service community. And so when I shared that, they got excited because now we're going to be adding a couple languages that we weren't purchasing books for to our uh, foreign language collection.
1: Yeah, super smart. Um, one of the things that I learned in research when I worked at the library in Cincinnati um we learned somewhere along the line while we were thinking about doing our facilities updates so we were doing research in conjunction with the companies that were going to be renovating some of our library buildings and somewhere along the line somebody discovered that there was a percentage of our population that was there so everybody had to um, all the cardholders have to designate a home library that's where they when they put a book on hold, that's where the book comes up available on the hold shelf. We have 41 locations in Cincinnati. So that was really important. But there were a lot of people who had designated their home library, but it wasn't near their home. It was Mm. near their work or near their school. So they are driving somewhere else. They don't live in that neighborhood. And we were assuming incorrectly, that people (laughs) who were going to that branch lived in that neighborhood, but they didn't. So that was mind-blowing and really changed our focus in terms of marketing quite a bit so that's just like a little thing that i would have never thought to research that completely changed the way we did business at the library
0: yeah i mean such a great point and i mean it really shows how essential it is to to invest time and effort in doing the research yeah yeah absolutely I know we only have a few more minutes left, yes. so I'd really like to close by asking you, what's your favorite library marketing or general marketing book, or where do you find your inspiration? Yes.
1: There is a woman, her name is Anne Handley, and she's actually a principal for marketing profs, which a lot of people have heard of. Um, and she has a newsletter that comes out every two weeks that's called Total Anarchy that I highly recommend everyone sign up for. Her focus is writing for your audience. So talk about somebody who can really give some great insight into how to write content that engages with specific audiences. She has a book, it's called Everybody Writes. She literally just released the second edition of it. I haven't seen the second edition yet, but I'm I'm buying it, I'm getting it. Is it, when I tell you, it absolutely changed the way I write I'm not under I'm not understating like her advice has changed the way I write the way I write on my blog is modeled off the way Ann Handley writes her newsletters um, so she's a huge resource for me um, I pretty much love everything Marketing Profs does I take all of their free webinars and all their courses that I can take um, I also love there's a another marketing expert named Andrew Davis he has a YouTube channel Um, He used to work, he used to write for the Muppets. And now he works, uh, he has his own marketing agency, and he does these really fun produced videos on YouTube that just have real, they take kind of complex marketing um, philosophies and just kind of break it down and make it very easy to understand. So I will watch some of his stuff on my lunch break if I have a few moments. We also, there's the Library Marketing Book Club on Facebook. It's run by Chris. I know y'all talked about that in his episode, but I find that to be um, just a place of, um, you know, you're with people who are struggling with the same things that you are, Uh, Mm um we when i try to get people to join the club i'll be like okay so we read a book we usually spend like the first 30 minutes of our book club meeting talking about the book and then we'll like veer off into some other topic because somebody's having some kind of hurdle or issue or success that they want to share and it just becomes we're sitting around with your library marketing friends talking Mm -hmm. about the things that we do yeah
0: yeah, that's like a book club in general, you spend maybe 10 minutes or, you know, half an hour talking about the actual book, and then it goes off on to tangents. But in this yeah. case, that sounds really, really helpful and constructive to talk about problems or obstacles or issues that you're experiencing in library marketing.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I, I just find that camaraderie to be so, so awesome. And then i you know social media is difficult to keep up with i subscribe to newsletters from a website called social media today to keep up with the algorithm changes and i think that's probably a great resource for your listeners as well
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Angela. I'm so grateful and so excited uh, that you met with me today and everything that you shared. Super awesome. I'm totally going to uh, get the Chrome extension to buddy and check out Anne Hansley's everybody writes.
1: (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much. I'm so honored that you asked me and I'm tickled that you started this podcast. I hope it really helps to, um, help uh the rest of the library marketers out there do their job and feel like you know we're all struggling with the same things so we can often feel very siloed very isolated in the library marketing world and and i just want everybody listening to know that um this is a community that welcomes everybody and we are all here to help each other so that's what makes library marketing such an awesome job i totally
0: agree yes i i mean that is exactly why I started this uh, or er, podcast and I just really hope it's it helps and uh, and hopefully you know I I hopefully I'll have you back um, in the future and I'm to. really
1: yes absolutely
0: really, really excited absolutely. to see you at the library marketing and communications conference. Woo-hoo!
1: <laughs> me, me too and um, for the rest of the listeners if they're not able to come to LMCC I just found out two days ago that I'm going to be at, um, Lib Learn X, ALA's Lib Learn X in January. So we can meet there Ooh. as well. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Angelia. Thank you, you. I appreciate Have a really it. good day.
0: Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope it was as helpful for you as it was for me. You can follow this podcast to keep track of new episodes and find me primarily on RSS and Spotify. Follow me on my website, thelibrarianmarketer.org through WordPress. Take my survey there for planning future episode topics and guests. Or send me questions, constructive feedback, ideas, and anything else at info at It's also in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. Until next time.